in a series called Rooted in God's Word. And the whole goal behind this series really lines up with what, what we're talking about, that, that each of us, individually and collectively, would be rooted in God's Word so that we're nurtured, we're fed, we're grown by it to produce the fruit that's commanded by it, by the grace and for the glory of the one who wrote it. That's the whole goal behind this. So there, there's been, in the last couple of weeks, I've given you some history lessons, given you some, some defense on the reason that we know the, the Bible is God's Word. I've given you, hopefully, a little bit of inspiration to feel confident that when you open the Bible, you are opening the very Word of God. And so my goal with that is really to help us all understand what is the Bible, why do I need it, and how can I get it into my life? We're, we're in week number three. The last two weeks, we've, uh, we've looked at, first, the inspiration of Scripture. Now, that's a fancy word that just simply means that God gave it to us. God spoke it to the people who wrote it down, and He used by His Holy Spirit those people and their experiences and their circumstances and their personalities. He used them to write down the words of Scripture so that it has both a divine, a heavenly and a human aspect to it. It is God's Word through humans. It's about Him, it's for Him, it's for His glory, but it's through humans and it's to us so that we might know how to live. So we, we saw in the very first week that the Bible actually is God's Word. It is inspired and sent from Him. Last week we looked at the inerrancy of Scripture, that the Bible is not only from God, but it's reliable, that you can build your life on it, that it is without error, that it is absolutely what God wants us to know. But that's just one implication of the fact that the Scripture is inspired. So we have the idea that Scripture is inspired, it's given by God, and as a result, it's inerrant. And this morning, we're going to look, as a result, it has authority. Thus saith the Lord, in the King James, over and over and over, or thus says the Lord, or this is what God says, maybe in your version. That's repeated over and over and over. Now, not only is it to give reliability and credibility to the person who's talking, but it's also to say, you better stop what you're doing, because here comes a word from God. The authority of God's word is seen throughout the scripture. In fact, when Jesus shows up on the scene in John chapter 1, we get the idea that Jesus is the living word of God. Not just the written about, but the living word of God. And what do, what do the people say about him and Mark when he shows up on the scene and, and he teaches them, and they're amazed because he taught as one with what? Do you remember? Authority. Not like their teachers. Jesus brings the word of God, and it has authority. He lives the word of God, and it has authority. And so anytime that the word of God came to the people, it came with authority, and it demanded their attention. Now this morning, I'm not going to try to thump you over the head or anything like that, but I want you to know that as as I present to you the Word of God, it comes not from me with authority, but from God with authority. And just like the people in the Bible who when God's Word showed up to them, we'll see an illustration of that today, that it demanded not only their attention, but it demanded a response from them, a repentant response. This morning, the same is true. When God's Word comes to us, it demands not only our attention, that you give respect to the preaching of it, but it demands a response. And so this morning, I, I, I pray, my prayer is that God will draw you to the response that you personally need and that we as a church need, whatever that may be. I recognize that in, in any church, uh, that there are folks who are living directly under the authority of God's Word, and that is your life pattern. And so this morning, for you, 
I hope simply to inspire you and to encourage you and to spur you on to further living under the authority of God's word. I pray that continues to be true in your life. And I know you've seen the blessings and the benefits that come from that. For others, I realize that you may or may or may not be living under the authority of God's word, whether by your own choosing or whether you've just slipped from that. Whatever it may be, you may find yourself this morning out from under the authority of God's word. And so for you this morning, if that's you, my goal is not to thump you, like I said, but as graciously as I can, but with the authority of God's word, call you back to repentance to live under the authority of God's word once again. That is the only place where we find the will of God, where we find the blessing of God, and where our lives are, are the way that God wants them to be. So, this morning, through the preaching of God's word, I hope you recognize the authority of it, that it calls you to a response and calls you to pay attention. Turn with me to 2 Kings. I'll give you an illustration this morning of what happens when we recognize and we see the authority of God's Word. Now, I'll tell you this, I apologize, because unfortunately I had a little problem this week. We're having some computer issues, and the Scripture could not be put on the screen. Now, for some, you, I just ruined your morning. I realize that. You like to look at that. I apologize. I, I, I was gone this week and was unable to work on it, and so it won't be on the screen. So that's fine. You got your Bible. You got your your uh, tablet or whatever you're, you're looking up the scripture on, that's fine. Uh, I like to put it up there. That kind of gets us all on the same page. You realize you're using different versions maybe than I will be preaching from. But, uh, but at any rate, uh, it won't be up there this morning. But in 2 Kings chapter 22, if you've got uh, your Bible handy, what we'll look at this morning is a story of a man named Josiah. Now, some of you from Sunday school years and years ago may know of this man named Josiah who became king when he was a young boy, eight years old took over the throne. As he grew up, his heart was, was softened toward the things of God. There's no question about that. And his life gives us an illustration of what the authority and the power of God's Word does when it's received by faith. Now, I'll just tell you, his is a very unique story. And we'll see that as we move on. We're going to learn some action steps from his life this morning and look at, because, the, because of the Bible's authority, what then should we do? Let me give you these as we move forward in 2 Kings, beginning in chapter 22. The first thing, because of the Bible's authority, the first thing we must do is to make God's Word the final word. To make God's Word the final word. Now, if you take nothing else away, if you're following on the back of your bulletin, if you're going to write some notes there in your Bible, circle this, put stars around it, whatever you want to do, doodle on your paper there just a little bit, draw attention to this, because if you leave with anything else, but make God's word the final word. I just tell you, the other stuff supports this. The other stuff is the implications. This is what must happen as we make God's word the final word. But you've got to get this and make sure that you understand it. This series is not just about you and I learning more about the Bible. That, that we could do outside of church, and you could do that in a very sterile kind of way. We're not just learning about the Bible, nor are we learning more about how do we understand it. I'll, I'll try to teach some of that as well. But what we're learning about is the fact that you and I must recognize and submit to the authority of the Bible in our everyday lives. I've told you before, I, I love when folks will come after the service during the invitation. If you need to spend some time with God, and that's great. I'll tell you, the invitation is always open for you to do that. If you need to come and you need to pray and you need to kneel before God, it's always open. But I want you to know that what I preach for is not just so that you'll come at the end of the service. 
I've seen preachers that can really get a lot of folks down at the end of the service. You've you seen anybody like that? I'm not that good, I guess. But, but I've seen them. They can get them down there. But my, my goal is, okay, that's great in that moment. That's wonderful. But in, but in your everyday life, and we know that's what this is targeted for, that in your everyday life, that tomorrow, that the next day, and everything you do, that you and I will recognize that we'll submit to the authority of God's Word. It must be the final word for us in every area of life. Now, if you look with me in 2 Kings chapter 22, look at verses 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now look at verse 2. He did what, is, what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or the left. That's a summary of his life. Now this is really when we're first introduced to him. And in chapters 22 and 23, you're going to fill out the story. But here's the summary. That he did what was right. That he went after God and he did not turn to the right or to the left. Remember in the book of Joshua, when God is handing over leadership from Moses to Joshua, what does he tell Joshua? Make sure you don't turn to the right or to the left. From what? From the Lord's instruction. From the book of God's word. Don't turn, and that's what we get in the life of Josiah. For him, he did what was right. He walked in the ways of David, as an example. He didn't turn to the right or the left, and it's obvious that God's word for him was the final word. Period. On everything. It's important that we understand how unique this was during his time. He followed two guys, both his grandfather and his father. Now, if you back up in the story just a little bit, look at chapter 21. Manasseh, who reigned 55 years, look at verse 2 of chapter 21. He did what was what? Evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the abominations of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places and all this, this false God kind of worship. Verses 7 through 9, he leads the people to a greater evil than the nations that surrounded Israel. Imagine that for just a second. You realize that throughout the Old Testament, that the, the foreign nations, the Canaanites, are held up as these absolute abominations to God. And what does it say about Manasseh that he led Israel to do? Stuff worse than those other nations. Here's what is supposed to be God's king and God's people, and they, they themselves, individually and collectively, are doing what is worse in God's eyes than what all the other pagan nations are doing that don't know God. Verses 10 to 15, it says that God's had enough and that he's going to punish and discipline the nation of Israel for all of this. And verse 16 sums it up. Manasseh also shed much innocent blood, so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to another. This was in addition to his sin he caused Judah to commit so that they did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Here's a guy who not only himself, but, but on behalf of other people, leads them into absolute sin. Now you figure, okay, son grows up, sees all the evil that's being done. Amnon, or Ammon, rather, Manasseh's son, Josiah's father, he comes and look in verse 20. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, as his father Manasseh had done. He walked in all the ways his father had walked. He served the idols his father had served, and he worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord God of his ancestors and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And then comes Josiah. Now, you, you tell me how, how difficult it must have been for Josiah, having a grandfather and a father, who both were in high positions of influence, very prominent people, who cared nothing for the Lord, and here comes Josiah. You tell me how difficult 
it likely would have been for, for God's word to be the final word in his life, for him not to turn to the right or to the left. We live in a society that's just like that. You realize that if you're going to make God's word the final word, if the summary of Josiah's life is going to be the summary of your life, that you don't turn to the right or to the left, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. I, I wish I could stand here today and tell you that if you'll just follow God, that everything will be so peaceful in your life, that everything's going to be just fine, that all the folks that you're around are just going to jump on board with you and clap and applaud you and say, way to go. It's probably not going to happen. It's certainly not going to happen from our society. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be popular to do that. You're likely going to stand alone in a lot of ways. Now, you can take that as discouragement, or you can say, you know what? God was bestowed favor on Josiah. Why? Because he stood alone. We'll see in just a minute some more of that. So for him, things are different. For him, God's word is the final word. His father, his grandfather, had made the final word whatever they wanted. Their desire for power or pleasure or or just a good time, or whatever it may have been. And Josiah is born into this family, into this society, where God's word was absolutely disregarded and disobeyed. It sounds a lot like our world today. It sounds a lot maybe like maybe many families that are represented here that you maybe grew up in, and you say, you know, my parents, they didn't care anything about God. And I've got extended relatives. They don't, they don't care anything about the word of God. It's just, maybe that's you, and you're there. I hope that you find some solidarity this morning with a man named Josiah who regardless of what his father, his grandfather had done, regardless of what the entire nation was doing, he says, no, 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 God's word is going to be the final word for me. He viewed it as authoritative, as the absolute for his life. You think about what's the final word for us in our society, in our church in our individual lives, sometimes, let's be honest, it's not the Word of God. Sometimes our emotions are the final word for us. Whatever we may be feeling at the time, or our desires, well, that's the final word. I wouldn't have this desire if God didn't want me to do it. Maybe it's a hunch. Well, I kind of think this must be the best way to go. I'm not sure, but I, I think maybe. Or maybe it's your conscience. You know, I'm just trying to follow my heart. I just sense this is the best thing to do. Maybe it's tradition. Well, I've kind of always just done it this way and seemed to work out before, and I guess that's okay. It's just the way things go, and, and I, I guess I need to follow that. Or maybe for you the final word is advice from others. Uh, if you're a young person here today, let me caution you with as heightened a caution as I can to not allow the advice from your friends and your peers, those who are relatively the same age, the same stage of life, do not allow that to be the final word for you. Don't allow it. Take it for what it's worth and compare it to the word of God. And let this right here, if you're a young person today, let this right here be the rule for your life, be the authority for your life. Why? Because God will never lead you astray. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He gives you value because of that. And your friends may or may not understand that. And so I pray, my prayer is for our young people, that, not, that they would not listen to the advice of folks and make that the final word. Well, I guess I need to do that because my friend says so. Or it seems as if everybody wants to do this or that. But it would be God's word that is the final word for young people. Others may be for you at circumstances. Well, I guess in this circumstance I need to do this. Well, things have changed and now, I, you know, I just got to do what you got to do. Circumstances are always going to change. 
There's no question about that. And if you are blown back and forth, you know this. If you're blown back and forth, and the final word is whatever circumstantially uh, the, the events say to you, and all oh, that's what I'll do based upon this circumstance, then you'll never line up with God's will. You'll never please God in your life. If you're basing what I'll do on circumstances, I wonder for you and for me, what is the final word? Is it those things or is it the word of God? We'll see next week what benefits um, are brought into our lives when we submit to the authority of God's word. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I've, I've read the scripture to you the last couple of weeks, we see that, that the authority of God's word is good enough for showing us salvation. We'll see that next week. It teaches us right from wrong. It shows us when we're going the wrong way, calls us out on that. It helps us to get back on the path of obedience to God. It lays out for us instructions step by step in life on here's how we should live. And it gets us to the point where we are ready and able to be used by God for any task He may call us to. That's the authority of God's Word. You want to know what's right and wrong? You want to know how to get back on your feet when you've fallen? You want to know what path God wants you to take? Submit yourself to the Word of God. There's no simpler thing that I can tell you. So I wonder, is God's Word the final word for you? As a young person, does your approach to school, to your parents, to your dating life, to your attitude, your view of the world, does that come from Scripture? Do you know that the Bible actually speaks to those things? <laughs> you realize that? Young people, you realize that the Bible speaks to the issues that you're dealing with right now? It speaks to all those things. I wonder if you're making that, God's Word, the final word for all that stuff. Or are you just making it up as you go along? As a married adult, I wonder how you're doing. Is God's Word the final word for your marriage? Husbands, are you loving your wives as God's Word commands, regardless of the respect and honor that she gives to you? Hear that again. Husbands, are you loving your wives as God's word is commanded? That's the final word, not what your wife does. Wives, are you honoring and respecting and loving your husbands as God's word is commanded, regardless of what he does? Do you see how in that God's word is the final word for me no matter what? Parents, are you passing on your faith to your children? That's God's final word, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, that we would pass on Raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, the instruction of God. Are we doing that or are we just praying with them at mealtime and bedtime? The final word says that's good, but don't stop there. God's word says I'm passing it on to my children. As an employee, are you working as if God himself is your boss or have you become like everybody else? Do everything without grumbling or complaining. That's not just for kids cleaning their room. <laughs> That's a tough one. I pull that out on my kids occasionally, by the way. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. That's what God says. Now clean your room and like it. They don't like it, though. I, you know, I, maybe I'm using it the wrong way. But you realize that's for me, too? That's for you, too? And what we do, we, 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 if God's word is the final word for us, then we go to work and we're different. God's word is what drives us. Work as if to God, not like you're working for people. Well, that changes your perspective. If God's word is the final word, then it will absolutely change that. As a retired adult, if you are able, are you serving the Lord like you've never done before? Are you spending more time now since you maybe got the time, spending more time in Bible study and in prayer for those that are around you, prayer for this church and our community? 
Are you spending as you're physically able as much time possible in serving other people, both in the community and in the church? Or, and I see this temptation, not experienced it obviously, but I see this temptation, has your vocational retirement led to, to a sort of Christian retirement as well? Well, I've put my time in. I guess I'll just sit back now. You realize that God has blessed you with so many years of walking with Him that if you retire spiritually, you are doing not only Him, but us a disservice. And we need you. Don't quit. None of this is easy, I'll tell you, to live under God's authority, nor is it popular. But God's Word is the final word. You realize whether you recognize it or not, it is. What does the Bible say? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you realize that whether we recognize it or not, His Word is the final word? Period. You can live as if it is, or you can reject it, but it is still true that His Word is the final word. And so I encourage you and challenge you and admonish you as best I can, pastorally with a little swat if I need to, to get under the authority of God's Word you will one day, whether you want to or not, let's make it now our priority to be under God's Word in all of these areas of life. Josiah shows us, based upon the summary of his life, that God's Word must be the final Word for you and for me and for us together. And for him this played out in a few ways. The first of which is because the Bible is authoritative, because of the Bible's authority, change your routine. I'm only on number two, but relax. Number one was the longest. Change your routine. I love what's going on here. Look at verse 3 of chapter 22. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent his court secretary, Shaphan, uh, to the Lord's temple, saying, Go up and tell the priest to pay the people so that we can make repairs. That's what he's doing. They're to give it to the carpenters, the builders, all this money, and masons to buy timber, in verse 6, and quarried stone to repair the temple. But no accounting is to be required from them for the money to be put in their hands since they work with integrity. You know, what's, he, what's he doing? He says, you know, we need, we need to repair the temple, repair God's house. So let's get busy on that, he said. And he's going through just his basic routine. And then verse 8, Hilkiah, the high priest, told Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the court secretary, went to the king and reported, your, your servants, have, here's the routine, have emptied out the money that was found in the temple and have put it in the hands of those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then he told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And he read it in the presence of the king. Josiah is going about his business as king. He's doing what he thinks is right. He's doing the best he can to honor God. And guess what happens? The word of God intervenes. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, verse 11, he tore his clothes. Why? Because he realized that the nation was living out from under the authority of God's word. And he realized that he, even going through the motions, was not completely under God's authority. And in verse 11, everything changes. He hears the word of God and it stops him in his tracks. He immediately shows repentance. And he says, we're in danger in verse 13. God's going to punish us because of what we've done as a nation. We've got to get back on the right track. He says the Lord's about to bring disaster upon us. What should we do? It changed his routine. I wonder for you and for me when we encounter the word of God does it go in one ear and out the other. Are we so accustomed, even on Sunday morning, 
to coming and hearing a, a sermon, singing a few songs, and not realizing we are encountering the very Word of God. And as a result, it just goes in one ear and out the other. Hey, that was great. Enjoyed being here. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next week. Isn't it easy to do that? Isn't it easy just to go through the motions like that? I listen, struggle with that as well. It's hard when you encounter God's Word to say, you know what, Lord, interrupt me today. I wonder how many of us pray on a regular basis, Lord, when I read the Scripture, God, when I hear it preached, change everything about me. God, don't let me walk away the same. And yet that's what this great king, Josiah, said, hey, I'm doing great things for the Lord. And yet when God's Word comes to him, it changes everything. I wonder, does it go in one ear and out the other, or does it stop you? Does it stop me in our tracks? Secondly, because the, the Bible is authoritative, because of the authority of the Bible, change your loyalty. Change your routine, change your loyalty. Look at verse, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 23. The king went to the temple with all the men, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the high priest, verse 2. The people from the youngest to the oldest, he gathers them all. And as they listen, here's the king, he read all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Then he stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, his decrees, his statutes, with all his mind and with all his heart, and to carry out the words of the covenant that were written in, the, in this book. All the people agreed to the covenant. He says, you know what, we, we've been going the wrong way. He admits, I, I've not been following the Lord the way that I need to. And publicly, he says, I'm going to repent before all these people and before God. And I will renew this covenant with the Lord. I'll renew my commitment, my faith in the Lord. And you know what he goes on to do in verses 4 through 20? He goes on to find the root of all of the idol worship, all the false worship that's going on. He works in his area of influence. He commands. There's no consulting with his political advisors to find out if this is a good idea politically for him or not. You realize that Christian faith, as we, as we should be living it, is not politically correct? It's not. The king here doesn't consult with his political advisors and say, Yeah, guys, I'm thinking about tearing down all of these idols and all of these temples to these false gods. How do you think that's going to land with the people? Do you think the folks over here in this district are going to like that? Do you think that they'll, they'll rebel a little bit? He doesn't care about any of that stuff. His loyalty is changed from all of that stuff to God and God alone. He orders that all the signs of the disobedience of the people were destroyed. The Bible goes on to tell us here in verses 4 through 20 that he burned them, he tore them down, he beat them to dust. And then he goes in verse 15 to Bethel. Bethel was assumed to be the place where it all got started. He goes to the root, and he burned it, and he crushed it to dust. He got rid of everything and everyone that represented life apart from the authority of God's Word. I wonder for you and for me, what stands in the way of our absolute loyalty and obedience to God? And are you willing to do what Josiah did and say, no matter what, I'll crush it, I'll burn it down, and I'll throw it out of my life. What is it? And how valuable is your relationship with God? How valuable is your marriage, your parenting, your job, the folks that you have influence over? How valuable is it to you that you'd say, I don't care what I have to do. I will change my loyalty from the things of the world to the things of God, and I will rid myself of everything that gets in the way. 
I don't know what that means for you today. I don't know what your walls are that keep you separated from the Lord. Maybe it's time to get to the core of our disobedience and the core of our living apart from authority, the authority of God's Word. Call those things out, confess them to the Lord, and get rid of every trace in our life that we possibly can so that we're loyal to the Lord. Thirdly, because of the authority of the Bible, change your worship. Change your worship. If you know anything about the Hebrew worship during this time, you'll know that it's centered on certain feasts and festivals. This was their expression of worship. One of those was called the Passover. Look in verse 21 of chapter 23. The king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover of the Lord your God as written in the book of the covenant. No such Passover had ever been kept from the time of the judges who judged Israel through the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. He says, you know what? When I've encountered the word of God, not only have I recognized that I've got some issues that I need to change in my life, I need to, I need to change my routine, I need to change my loyalty, but guess what? My worship has got to change. He brings the Passover back. Whether it had, they'd just been going through the motions, it says no such Passover. Maybe he actually gave meaning to it. Or maybe it just simply had not been done ever in that time period. And Josiah brings it back. And it's interesting that it's not brought back as just another ritual. Just do these things and God will like you. Sometimes isn't that our approach to church? Isn't that our approach sometimes to worship? Well, I'll do these things so that God is happy with me, so that he stays off my back, and things go pretty well for me. And we stack all these things up, and we say, God, look at me. Look what I've done. Now bless me. Josiah's having none of that. He says, we're returning to true worship of the Lord, not because of what he's going to do for us, but because of who he is. There's a great song that came out a few years ago called The Heart of Worship. A guy named Matt Redman wrote it, and he says this, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way that things appear, you're looking into my heart. You realize that when you walk in here and you worship the Lord, God knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows if I stand down here and I worship or if I just go through the motions. He knows if I stand here and I preach God's word to you, if, I, if, if it comes from a heart of love and a heart of wanting to see your life change, or if I'm just going through the motions, and he knows the same about you. He knows the same about our church, whether our church has a heart to worship God or we just show up every Sunday. God knows. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. All about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. What about our worship? Individually, collectively, Josiah says we're instituting heartfelt, absolute convicting kind of worship. Maybe it's time for you and I to change our worship and our praise to make it from our hearts. Not only on Sundays, but throughout the week. And fourth, because of the authority of the Bible, change your entire being. Change your routine, your loyalty, your worship, your entire being. Look at what's said in conclusion about Josiah. Chapter 23, look at verse 24. In addition, Josiah removed the mediums, the spiritists, household idols, images, and all the detestable things that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. He did this in order to carry out the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the Lord's temple. 
Look at verse 25. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his mind and with all his heart and with all his strength, according to all the law of Moses, and no one like him arose after him. What's God want from us? All our mind, all our heart, all our strength. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's not changed from the Old Testament to the New. God wants our entire being, all of us. He gave all of Him and wants all of us in return. There was no one like Him, He says here. He was unique. For Josiah, God's Word was the ultimate authority, the final Word. It changed everything about Him, the way He thought, the way He felt, the way He worked, the way He viewed the world, His routine, His loyalty, His worship, His entire being. What about you and me. Josiah was absolutely different from all those around him. He was spared, the Bible says, of seeing the destruction that would eventually come to the people of God, their deportation to Babylon. Unfortunately, the people, when Josiah died, reverted back to their old ways. The two kings that followed him, they say, just went back to the same old stuff, the same old evil. Maybe they figured that if their leader was okay before God, then they were okay before God. Sort of that priest mentality. You realize that I can't stand on your behalf before God? I'd love to. It'd be great. If I could say, hey, you know what? God, just uh, don't worry about them. Uh, I'll try to be as holy as I possibly can be, and maybe that will be enough. Do you realize that I am an absolute sinner? Cannot stand before you or in your place, rather, before God. I need a Savior just like you do. I have sinned and so have you. Only Jesus is our go-between. So if you, maybe like these people, are thinking, well, if I just get close to the pastor, if I just know him, maybe his holiness will rub off on me. Good luck with that happening. I'm as broken and sinful as anyone because I'm human. People, maybe they thought if the king was okay, they'd be okay. Maybe they figured it was just too difficult to live under the authority of God's Word. But regardless, the Word of God meant very little to them. It did not change their routine. It did not change their loyalty. It did not change their worship. It did not change their entire being. They did not see it as the final Word. And the danger is the same for us today. To hear God's Word, to see it illustrated in authoritative ways, and then to leave here and go back to the same thing. That's the danger for us. That's what these people did. And ultimately, as I said, God's word was the final word. They faced the discipline and the punishment of God. And we know God is a God of grace, but He's a God of holiness as well. And He will not tolerate sin. And there will be consequences, unfortunately, for sin. Even for people who believe in Jesus, there are life consequences here on earth. So what will it be? Maybe you'd pray a simple prayer with me. Maybe you would say to the Lord, and why don't we just join our hearts in prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, reflecting on what we've heard, maybe for just a moment we would reflect on what's written in 2 Timothy, where we see that the way for salvation is found in the Scripture. 
that God is authoritative, that there is only one way, and that is through Jesus, His death and resurrection. We see the Scripture is authoritative to teach us right from wrong, to show us and call us out, to help us get back on the path of obedience, to lay out instruction for each step along our life's journey, and to get us to the point where we can be used by God. And maybe this morning you'd whisper this to the Lord, God, your word is the final word for me. Change my routine. Change my loyalty. Change my worship. Change my entire being. Make that your prayer this morning. Lord God, we are humbled in your presence, recognizing your authority and not our own. We recognize your holiness and our sinfulness and our need as a result for the Savior that you have provided, your very Son, Jesus Christ. God, may we see your word as the final word and go nowhere else for salvation but you. May we see your word as the final word and may it change our routines. Lord, please don't leave us the way we were when we walked in. May it change our loyalty. God, whatever it is that needs to be rooted out of our lives, will you do that work in us this morning? May it change our worship. God, turn our hearts toward you genuinely. May it change, Lord, our entire being. Everything, Lord, we lay before you. Lord, this morning we make your word the final word in our homes, in our church, in our community. Change us, we pray, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.